0: You're listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast episode 45 and today I'm chatting with Tracy Silverman. Thanks so much for joining me guys, I'm going to start off like I always start off and I'm going to talk about Patreon. If you want to support the podcast then you can do so via Patreon, it's a way that you, the listener, can support me, the content creator, that's what I am, with as little as one pound, dollar, euro a month Uh, or as much as you want of course, but you know, every little helps. But yeah, if you want to support the podcast, you can do so on Patreon. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Matt Holborn. It's also a place that you can get involved in my jazz violin practice club. It's a place that we meet up once a week to um, practice together on Zoom. It's the thing that I started off during the COVID-19 lockdown in the UK. And it has flourished into a new part of my life and a new part of i'd say about 20 other people's lives at the moment we meet up every week we practice uh, scales and scale exercises in interesting ways on zoom and uh, just if you don't understand how that might work uh, at the moment you know how we how we do it is we have everybody on mute apart from me which means that all that you can hear if you're in this zoom meeting is me playing the violin and me playing these repetitive um, exercises and you you're just going to practice along what i do is i explain the exercise uh, and then we we just go for it and you use a mixture of your intellect and your ear to find ways to follow me and play along with me it's a fully practical session you get on zoom and you are playing pretty much non-stop all the way through with a little bit of listening to my nonsense Uh, we have a great time i know it sounds technical but we do you know we're having a good time this is always what it is we it's it's, a real fun it's a guided practice session it's a way that you can have a little bit of um, guidance with your jazz violin practice as well as a little bit of practice accountability that's one of the main things that people have told me it's really helped with please come and check it out uh, it's a way that you, you know you can do so on patreon anyway god that was a long one um today i am chatting with a real special guest this is a real special one for me i think i've been aware of tracy for god probably 13 years and i think that i found tracy when i was really first starting to get into the meat and bones of practicing improvising and and working on playing jazz and working on playing music that is not classical music on the violin and Tracy really blew me away I really you know I really do think of him as a very very unique musician and a very very unique improviser he also has um, a very unique and exciting way of expressing rhythm on the violin Um, which we we talk about a lot in this episode. As well as this, he is a force of nature, so to speak. That's the thing people say, isn't it? A real personality and someone I really enjoyed interviewing and chatting with about music and life and art and everything. Okay, without further ado, please give it up for Tracy Silverman. I was... You know what I f fir- I first heard you I first heard you on a Jeff Coffin Mutet album from two thousand and one. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's when I first heard about you. Uh so I've uh, Huh. Do you know that y- you're writing that down. i'm trying to remember what
1: what i played on there <laughs>
0: you played a tune i was just finding it i was just looking at it now because i remember finding it and I, when did huh. i hear it? i mean i think it was out i was just looking at it now and it says it was out 2001 i probably i probably yeah. heard it a bit later than that because i got really into jeff coffin for for a bit Maybe one of my favorite musicians he is I've, I've,
1: he's a great great guy good friend cool
0: nice yeah well i love I love jeff coffin's music everything about it, what he does oh, nice anyway but i remember listening and just going and it was there was a tunic it, it's like i can't remember what it's called i was just listening to it now I go, something like that and i remember just thinking like whoa yeah, yeah there's a violin what is that what's going on and you played huh. the coolest solo man i was I, like oh, wow. so yeah and, and ever since i've sort of sort of followed you on and off so it's a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, awesome. Pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, man.
1: Yeah. Thanks. I'm going to have to go back and, and and see what the hell I played oh, on that. <laughs> well, you nailed it, I promise. It was good. <laughs> Thank
0: you. So anyway, if you wouldn't mind just telling me how you first started playing the violin. Well,
1: you know, I'll tell you a f- funny story. I was very young, and there was a, a violinist who lived on my street, and... I was, uh, he was a concert master of of an orchestra. He was kind of a young guy. And I was four years old. I was on my tricycle. And I'm riding down a little further down the street than I'm supposed to. And I hear this music coming from the end of the street. And it sounds something like this. Right? And I'm like. What is that? Some lady singing Mm. like really high, you know. So I turn around on my bike. I go get my brother, who's two years older than me, and he's got a bicycle. So you know, I said, Brian, come on, come on, you got to come down. You know, this this lady down at the end of the block. Hey, come come listen. We come down there. Sure enough, there it is again. Like who is that lady singing? And he goes, Wow, you don't know very much about music, do you? I'm like, why? Who is that? He goes, that's not a lady singing. That's someone playing the flute. So I went home and I told my parents, I want to learn how to play the flute. And they're like, what? Like, so anyway, they figured it out. and I started taking violin lessons from Ronnie Carbone down the street. There was something about the expressive quality of the violin. There was also a, a record. I remember my dad had a... Uh, my dad was a big mu- classical music fan, had a great record collection back then. This was in the 60s, mm-hmm. keep in mind, going way back in time, LPs and hi fi sets. And um, and he had a recording of, it was one of these sample recordings that had little bits of like stereophonic sound. And, uh, and one of them was a little sample from the Sibelius Violin Concerto mm-hmm. of like that wonderful moment Ba-da-da-da-ba- the 6, and I heard that and it was like it was like somebody was shooting musical heroin into my veins as a five-year-old mm. I was like what and uh, and somehow it just I really um, responded to that and I guess my parents noticed that and so they started giving me violin lessons and it became my thing you know and it that, that was just always something I...
0: I, I and it did. came from you. It didn't. It didn't come from your parents saying because a lot of people who start instruments like like the violin, it's parents who want them to. You know, I, he should play the violin. You know.
1: Well, I'm sure there was a lot of that. Right. I'm sure there was a lot of my parents saying, "Oh, this is a really good yeah. thing," and me thinking, "Oh, this must be a really good thing." Yeah. <laughs> no, but they?
0: They're not musicians, or they are musicians.
1: They are not, my dad's, they're both music lovers. Mm-hmm. My mom was into musicals, wanted to be an actress at one point, yeah. uh, became a teacher. My dad was always a huge music fan uh, and grew up amongst uh, musicians, but also became a teacher. Um, and uh, yeah, just just loved music. And I always, you know, it was always, you know, the, the sort of highest aspiration of a person could achieve i think in my dad's mind especially was to be a great musician you know he just admired all the great virtuosos and conductors and stuff like that so i'm sure all that
0: filtered mm-hmm. right in that's that's cool that's a uh, could be you know maybe better than having musician parents is having people who just really really love it you know to-
1: well i can i can tell you my dad pushed me uh, really hard as a kid to practice uh, and as a music musician parent myself <laughs> of several kids, I can tell you that I purposely have taken the opposite approach mm. with them and have never really pushed them into music and kind of felt like I always encourage them and I've given them lessons at various times. But when they want to call it quits, I'm just like, hey, I'm not going to push you. So. Yeah. Whereas I wanted to quit constantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, not really. No, I I, did I as didn't I well. didn't always want I didn't always want to practice, I can tell you that. <laughs> I'm
0: the same. I'm the same. Um, definitely I think there's a lot of people like that. I am I am quite grateful to my mum for keeping me keeping yes. keeping at me. Likewise. Um, exactly. Okay, but did you did you feel like you had a natural flair for, for playing the violin to begin with?
1: I guess so. I mean, you know, it sort of was always my thing, you know, and I got kind of good at it by the time I was, you know, I started doing like the Juilliard pre-college when I was like eight, you know, and I made my debut with the Chicago Symphony when I was 13. Okay. So they were sort of grooming me to, to you know, for a professional career and, um, was, you know, did some contests and stuff when I was a teenager. And, but, you know, and so I got into Juilliard, you know, I never would have Gotten into Juilliard because you know if if it weren't for the fact that I was sort of being groomed for this you know all my life since I was a little kid really Mm. Uh, and I loved it and I and I thought it was great you know that I got out of school early to go home and practice and you know I got all this sort of preferential treatment and I was sort of a a, a very very low level um, you know kind of celebrity in my very small town because I played with the orchestra when I was thirteen kind of thing. and that was fine for me. I was that was great, you know. And I went to Chicago Musical College. We lived in in the Midwest at that point. We had moved from New York out in the Chicago sort of area. Went to the Chicago Musical College when I was sixteen, and I was kind of like the like the Wunderkind, you know, there. And then transferred to Juilliard when I was seventeen. And then all of a sudden, it was like, Whoa! Wait a second. Jimmy Lynn and Bobby McDuffie and Nigel Kennedy were Nadia Salerno-Sanabert, all in my class, the same class. Right. I'm like, whoa, these guys are for reals. So, <laughs> um, you know, and not that I, you know, I, I, I like to joke that I, I entered Juilliard wanting to be the next uh, Yasha Heifetz, and I left wanting to be the next Jimi Hendrix um somewhere in there I took a left turn there was a, a fork in the road and one side was you know was my parents going right over here this way orchestral auditions and and concertmaster and hopefully solo career and the other side was my brother and other devils on my shoulder pointing the other direction and going Jimi Hendrix, uh, the first electric violin rock and roll star. That could be you. Nobody's ever done that with the electric violin. This was in the 70s. Uh, you know, and, and my brother, two years older, who was the one who knew all about flutes, uh, was a big rock and roll fan. And on my 16th birthday, because I was going away to college really young, it was like, here, kid, you're going to need this. Here are three albums, again, LPs. One was Hendrix's Cry of Love. One was Jean-Luc Ponty' Enigmatic Ocean. And one was Frank Zappa Hot Rats. Yeah. <laughs> With Sugarcane Harris yeah. playing violin on that one. And, um, and that kind of, he was like, take this and think about this for a minute and uh, and I did. I kind of went off going, you know what? I need to do what every other um, real composer has done as a as a music creator, which is to write in the idiom that they grow up in and that they know and that everybody else plays in, which was rock and roll mm. in the 70s if you you know, like all my friends in high school didn't really know much about the Sibelius Violin Concerto, hate to tell you. So um, I wanted to speak in the lingua franca of my own time, which is rock and roll. And so I started building electric violins. I started really studying how guitar players play and trying to to do what I thought was going to take me, oh, six months or a year at most, was to become the first rock star of the electric violin. Because it was pretty obvious that all you had to do was Plug it in, put it through a martial amp, play some fast shit, and everybody was just gonna start throwing money and and bras and panties at me, you know. And 10 years later, um, still playing the 2, 2 a.m. shift at CBGB's to the bartender, you know, with my original rock bands, um, you know, um, that dream was still a work in progress. But in wandering in the desert there for 10 years, I did kind of figure out how to forget everything they taught me at Juilliard, you know, about vibrato, how to forget, how to play the violin as if I'd never played a violin before. That was actually my goal. Like, how do you make this instrument? How do you use these four strings? Oh, they seem to be tuned in fifths. How do you use this, this thing with hair on it to create the rock and roll that I want to create? So really trying to approach it like that, losing all of the baggage of all my classical stuff. You know, I think it was Matisse who said, the hardest thing for a painter to do is to paint a rose. Because in order to paint a rose, he has to forget every painting of a rose that he's ever seen. And so it was a little bit like that. In order to play the violin, I had to forget every recording of a violin, including Jean-Luc Ponty, including Stefan Grappelli, including Yasha Heifetz. I didn't want to sound like any of those guys because it was so easy to sound like Stefan Grappelli.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's a I think that's a it's a it's a common theme. Is like as violinists because it's such a because what we do is well as jazz violinists or as people who play outside the classical realm there's not as many of us and there's not as many in history and it just feels very it feels very easy to just go snap into just sounding yeah. like one of those people in his, from yeah. history right well
1: you know they've been transcribed so it's easy to just read it A. Sure. It's very violinistic, so it's kind of easy to play. Yes. yes. As opposed to like transcribed sax lines, yeah. which don't lay so easily. Yeah. Um, you know. So there's a lot of reasons why it's easy to to just do the the Grappelli thing. But um, for one thing, it sounds I think, and, and again, I've actually played the Grappelli thing with like the hot club of San Francisco and and you know so uh, i'm not talking shit about any any of that stuff because that's it, it's great but it it's in a way like classical music it's recreating a historical
0: m- music yeah which is yeah i i i yeah. i know what you i know what you're saying it's it for me i always put it more like uh it's like folk music a little bit more like mm-hmm. folk music because folk music it's sort of got this there's this canon of of things that you have to do or it's not right you know if you go to a scottish because uh, i'm from scotland if you go to like a scottish um uh f- session like if you turn yeah. up and like just sort of play the tunes a bit wrong like and you don't do maybe you don't do the right the right uh in uh ornaments or you like maybe you you do some like accompaniment when you're not really supposed to as a violinist or something like that, you just play like chords or something like they don't like it. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not, and now it's not that it's not what it's not that music to them. And it's, and I think that that recreating jazz or any recreating any music is, it it becomes more like folk music than than jazz or just than like.
1: Interesting. Interesting. It's sort of like a purist, uh, attitude towards this is this is the culture this is the tra- it's tradition yeah this is the tradition and you have to respect that yeah. tradition and 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 I get that which is why I, exactly right I, I totally agree which is why I, I wanted to say I'm not yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. mean to sound like I'm talking no, shit you, about I playing Stefan Grappelli I, I think that's a traditional thing and there's a, a place for that but um I think if you are trying to create new music now that's a very different thing than being traditional um and uh to to that end i'm more you know i'm not i wasn't interested in being a traditionalist either in classical tradition or the grappelli uh you know that uh, hot jazz tradition or even the bebop tradition okay because ponty did that great you know um and or the swing tradition, like you know, Stuff Smith or something. There was there have been guys who have done that, and whether or not even they there have been guys who did it or did it well, it's still historical. It's not what's happening in my life. Yeah. So you know, when I was coming up, of course, you know, um, it like I said, it was rock, and so I I really didn't want to be a jazz violin player. I wanted to be a rock violin player yeah Yeah. you know just because that was in the 70s uh not that there wasn't jazz there was a lot of great jazz going on but what my friends in high school were listening to was not you know usually much of that jazz i mean a little bit yeah you know but not really you know they weren't listening to coltrane they were listening to chicago yes you know what i mean yeah i know know and and led Zeppelin. yeah
0: i know what you're saying i am pop music and i think that that the idea of traditional jazz or like the recreation of, of old jazz it's quite it's quite like a mo- it's quite a modern thing, isn't it? It sort of started who was that I was talking to about that? Was just- John Esbridge, when I spoke to John Esperidge he was talking about um yeah, he said that that whole recreation of like new like playing old jazz, like started in the seventies. Like before like it was like a and that's really crazy for me to think uh, you know I, that sort of blew my mind i don't know why it blew my mind but you know before that no one really did that thing they were like well it was like well why would i recreate what happened you know maybe 30 right. years ago or whatever is that's that's weird right. you know but now as we've gone further away from the Jesus well, or
1: whatever it's this interesting cycle that happens you know there's like it it's like there's new growth, right? The new growth that's happening. When something is growing, it's, it's you know, busy growing. Yeah. Like um, Dylan said, you know, he was not busy uh, growing, is dying or yeah. something like that, um, right? Um, and, and so there's like the jazz age and, you know, they're creating jazz and, and like swing is happening and then bebop is happening and fusion is happening, you know, and like things are are growing and and are in a creative place. Uh, and then it's sort of other things start growing. Hip hop starts growing. like jazz, you know, the young people went, okay, jazz was dad's stuff. I'm doing hip hop. That's my stuff, you know. Um, and so hip hop starts growing and jazz starts now just staying where it is and looking backwards just as classical music did. Classical music was growing, growing, growing and in my opinion got to a place where it's now we're only playing historical music. That didn't used to be the case. When Bach was writing cantatas, there was a different cantata every Sunday, right? And the other ones out the window, you know. Maybe one day I'll use it again for another if I get a, hired in a different town and I need a, a Jesu Joy in that town. Um, you know, music was, first of all, there were no recordings, you know, and but, um, you know, it was always new, new stuff, new, new, new. And, you know, people, Beethoven wrote nine symphonies because they did a new one,
0: yeah.
1: you know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, now they weren't, you know, they weren't playing music that was 100, 200 years old until the 20th century. Yeah we sort of rediscovered baroque music. Mm. That was kind of a thing, believe it or not, I think in the 60s. Okay. There's this whole baroque craze, yeah. Vivaldi, yeah. you know. Um <laughs> but you know, so jazz I think has starting to reach that point where it's it's, it's America's classical music, yeah. you know. I've heard that that reference. You've heard that. <laughs> um which means, you know, as terror that's like an obituary if you ask mm. me, unfortunately.
0: Mm. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and, I know. Um, I mean, i'm really i'm always really torn by this this subject and it sounds like you're quite you are also uh you're not one of these people who's for or against anything uh i i <laughs> sorry that sounds like i'm saying you're you're sitting on a fence which people don't like anymore but uh I, you're not i can hear that you're, i can hear that you're not saying hey i don't like people who play old jazz but it's an interesting conversation and i've always been someone who i really like old jazz and i really like listening to winter Marsalis I do too. play a solo over cherokee like i just love and i'm like and it gets me Great. really excited <laughs> and he is you know in a way he's well he is a he's like the absolute uh, you know the the classic guy that we're probably talking about here who's right. who, who's all about preservation but he's very musical, and he's very, uh, very, um, well, just amazing and very creative. And you yeah. hear crea- creativity mm-hmm. and joy when you, he- when you hear him play. So, yeah, you know, I, and, but I also love forward-thinking music, and I, I think that it's important that people are always trying to do something new. But I just don't, I, what I don't like, actually, is the idea that one or the other is wrong. Exactly. I think,
1: you know, it's like the bumper sticker, um, you know, one God isn't big enough for all of us or something like that. Um, yeah. You know, oh, there's, yeah, that's cool. you, you know you, there's room for, look, this is the thing with, with classical music and, and jazz is that the, the canon, the repertoire is of such an incredibly high level. You know, there are so many masterpieces in the body of classical music. It's like the golden handcuffs. You know, we're 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 sort of handcuffed to to tr- putting this stuff on a pedestal because it's very worthy of it it deserves to be in a museum. It deserves to be preserved. Yeah. It deserves to have people learning how to recreate it. It's amazing. It's some of the highest achievements of mankind. Yeah. That's true of classical music. It's true of like Charlie Parker yeah. and Thelonious Monk and Louis Armstrong and, and all of these great artists. And there is nothing wrong with people devoting their lives to creating this historical body of music that deserves to be um, maintained and, and recreated. Like Shakespeare deserves to be, you know, still played, put on stage because it's worthy. Yeah. It, it has content. Yeah right? Um, and so I think as, as artists, some of us need to do that job, yeah. and others of us need to do a different yeah. job, which is to grow and to uh, the responsibility of, um, of creating new music. Yeah. Because if you don't, we, are, yeah. we will be the generation that dropped the ball, yeah. right? Because Beethoven's generation, they created new music. Brahms' generation, they created Tchaikovsky, you know, Bartok, Stravinsky, they all created cool new music. If we stop creating cool new music that's relevant, we will have dropped the ball. And in order to do that, some of us need to be creative musicians, some of us need to be recreative musicians yeah. or interpretive musicians. Yeah. There's room for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and I, my opinion, uh, uh, you know, sort of my mission, has become to speak for the idea that string playing needs to evolve, because so much of string playing, as opposed to, you know, other instruments involved with jazz, like saxophone, guitars, and rock, and you know those things evolved with the pop music of its day. Strings got into this arrested development. In the 20th century where it's only looking backwards, only recreating music of the past, unless it's fiddly stuff. That's about the only thing that's kind of folk music, you know, or that's that's part of the current vernacular. And I think it's a huge, um, that strings have so much to offer in the current popular genres. And it's, and it's our responsibility as creative musicians to represent our time and to include strings in that representation. Um, And if we don't start doing it soon, I I think they're gonna get so endangered that it's really on the verge of becoming extinct at some point.
0: Yes, and what do we do to make that happen?
1: So here's my theory, all right? Here's my theory is that the future of strings, I keep talking about the future of Mm -hmm. strings, I think the future of strings is going to start um, taking place, coalescing in the recording studios of pop records. okay? Like the producers who are working with the Drakes and the, you know, uh, bigger names uh, in the in the pop world, Beyonce and everybody, you know, from the rappers to the pop singers. Hip hop is you know, is the genre that drives most American pop music. Um, and those producers who are, who are putting those tracks together need to start putting strings on those tracks. We, in other words, we need string players to get into those studios to play strings in a way that is relevant to the music. And that's all there is to it. We got to get on the records. If we're not on the records, we ain't going to be in the in the history books, you know, or we're going to be just known as an extinct instrument in the history books. In order to to be a part of 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 our culture as string players, we need to get on the records because that's where the culture is happening. And then of course, on the concert stages, but to get in the studio and and to play music that's relevant to those records that is going to be very similar to a guitar but a little different. So,
0: this is where yeah this is where we get to the point you're not talking about we need to have a load of we need to have a string section playing classical music over pop music what you're talking about is we need to be part of the band as a as a solo string player or as a sort of maybe i don't know about that but
1: just like a guitar Mm -hmm. there are two functions that we can do very well Mm -hmm. lead and rhythm and they're two very different things sometimes
0: you know definitely
1: um, they kind of go to two opposites of the spectrum. Yeah. One is melodic and basically vocal in nature, in which case the instruments need to sound like the other melodic instruments of the genre. So if you're hip-hop, you're going to be sounding like a vocalist or sounding like a horn, like an electric guitar or a horn or a synth or whatever is playing a melodic line. Okay. You have to in some way fit in yeah. to that. And the other way is rhythmically playing grooves, doing what a guitar does, doing what a keyboard does, doing what synth pro, you know productions mm. do, um, making sense on the record in any way that you can. And there are all kinds of creative ways violin strings can function that way as great rhythm instruments, chordal instruments, especially when you have six strings yeah. on, the, on a violin. And it really functions very much like a guitar this is why i have this whole strumboing thing it's it's basically because it it's it's modeling out of you know one of the main instruments in our pop music culture which is the guitar yeah we're closest to that than we are to a keyboard
0: yeah yeah you know it's quite interesting listening to you talking before we talk actually a bit more uh um sort of technically about that, the, the stuff that you're talking about it's just quite yeah. interesting if you ever you ever read about like third stream something i've been reading mm-hmm. about a while like recently gunther Schuller talking about yeah. third stream being basically this intersectional place where classical meets jazz at the time when gunther schuler was writing jazz was sort of more like popular music than, than it is now but it was still it was still it was like around I remember, if you, read, if you read about his thing, if you read about what he thought the third stream should be or could be, you know, he, he was very clear, it was like, the third stream, it's, it's not jazz with strings. And it's not, so, and it's not classical mu- musicians playing, I can't remember what it wasn't. There's this really interesting little bit of like what it is and what it isn't. But the main thing that stuck, stuck, you know, stuck with me and makes me think about what you're thinking about now, is that it's not we're not talking about jazz with strings we are not talking about charlie parker with strings right. and that's not what right, you're right, talking right. about right you're not talking no, about no not at all well, uh, you're talking about us being relevant yeah. and actually making a basically making a place for ourselves in popular music rather than sort of exactly
1: creating a new place because new there place. really isn't mm-hmm. one
0: you know what
1: we're, what we're going to be doing is kind of modeling on the guitar which has less of a place than it used to also, True. for sure. But um, but the idea of a string section where strings are kind of used as this kind of production element, a sort of an anachronistic throwback to a symphonic yeah. past in which we can put this big um, cinematic, um, you know, or... You know, uh, in the case of Motown, a sort of groovier version of that string, but nevertheless a kind of a groovy orchestra playing in the background. But what I'm talking about is not that. I'm talking about more single instruments, not not a string section, but a violin player who basically is replacing the guitar player in a band.
0: And it's also, I'm, am I, I'm, I'm reading between the lines, but it's also not a classical musician who has a who has a uh, uh an electric violin and who plays pop songs on in a classical way. It's not that, is it? Exactly.
1: Exactly. Thank you for bringing up that distinction uh because this is certainly if um if you're like me and you uh follow hashtags on Instagram like electric violin Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> you will see that there are hundreds of people with electric violins and cool outfits um, playing pop songs uh, with a lot of vibrato and in a basically classical way. Now, I'm just writing a blog about this for this new uh, music magazine called Inside Cool Music Magazine. Uh, I've got a monthly column in there now, and I'm writing uh, the next. Uh, blog is about uh the difference like the differences different rules for different schools like difference between classical and popular Mm -hmm. styles uh and i address vibrato i have and this is it's uh, you know i start off with a disclaimer like this is very subjective Everybody's got an opinion about vibrato, so here's mine, you know? (laughs) So, um, you know, if anybody's interested. uh, I just, you know, I just kind of feel like a a classical vibrato is ridiculous in a pop song. It's just Mm. you should play like the other instruments in the pop song play or like the singer sings. And if they're not singing with vibrato... And this rap song, why would you play with vibrato on that rap song? Especially if you're playing the melody, you should be trying to sound like the singer. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's uh, You know, it's just, to me, it's inappropriate. Your, Your vibrato is like an accent. And it's like, if you're from New York and you've got a New York accent and suddenly you're playing a part where you're supposed to be from Spain, you know, Barcelona, and you're speaking with a New York accent, well, then you're not doing a very good job of fooling the listener into thinking that you're spanish so you know if you're a classical player and you're trying to play a pop song and you're just giving away you're like i'm gonna just play this spanish role with a new york accent because that's my artistic choice yeah okay yeah, yeah. go for it
0: yeah i guess it's a bit uh, like vibrato is a little bit like a an ornament isn't it it's a bit like or you know it's like you're saying and we go back to this folk music sing you listen to or just any music you know you listen to indian classical music the the violins especially the violin but all the instruments are often just just doing an impression of the singer and i think the same in in, in all the folk music that we exactly listen to romanian romanian folk music exactly. they are the Ro- romani romanian folk music they are playing the things that they're doing hey. yep. it's all to do with the, the voice you know exactly
1: it sounds just like the singers sing. Every culture does that. In fact, the language, the language itself does that. You know what I mean? Just like, so, um, yeah, it, it's, it's that intersection of, of language and melody, and, and, and the instruments are copying yeah. just the part without the words. So um, I think it's really important as string players that we develop, your, your vibrato shouldn't be involuntary. Mm. It shouldn't be something that's out of your control. Like your accent, if you're an actor, you need to control your accent. Mm. You need to be able to modulate that to play different roles. And if you're a musician and you're playing outside of the classical realm, if you're just playing classical, fine. But if you're playing other stuff, you need to learn how to turn your vibrato off. You need to learn how to do a rock vibrato. You need to learn a jazz vibrato, a bluegrass vibrato. They're all a little different accents.
0: I agree. I agree. I think it can be... And it it, it really, I think vibrato is a real funny one because it it can become a a real, it's one of the the main things that can become a habit vibrato, isn't it?
1: Because it's such muscle memory. That's why it's like an accent. It's very hard. It's not easy to lose your accent. Not
0: easy. That's true.
1: It's not at all easy to lose. If you, you know, if you're speaking in a second language, people are always going to know that no matter how much you try, they're always going to hear your Mm. native
0: accent. Yeah it's funny because i spent a lot of time not playing vibrato when i was first getting into playing jazz and probably in the last five years i've i was when i just from working on my sound and then you know getting lessons with classical musicians and then actually working on my vibrato now i use it now i've gone back to be having it as a it's really hard like it's really hard to get it out you know and not have it as a as a like we're saying it's one of the, it's one of the only things that I think is like a, such a bad ha- can be just seen as a habit it's like smoking oh, yeah 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 <laughs> tell me about it's it
1: it's very you know it's like muscle memory you it's know def-
0: yeah you're right yeah i mean i, I i'm a ex-smoker i like smoking <laughs> so you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean. hey so the um <clears throat> strumbo i mean i think i'm guessing most people are going to know what you mean by strum uh, because I think most people listening to this podcast will know who you are and they're going to know what we're talking about. But maybe some people won't and it'd be cool for you to to talk a bit more about it. Well, what is it?
1: Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I'd love to real quick um, explanation. Uh, the one sentence explanation is using your bow like you're strumming a guitar. So basically the way you would strum a guitar, um, doing that with your bow. And the main difference between that and the way we're generally taught how to use our bow is that we don't do that. We don't keep our hand moving continuously. We move only when we want to hear sound, because if otherwise we're going to hear sound where we don't want to hear it. And the reason we, keep, we don't move our hand continuously in a strum motion with a bow is because we don't know how to mute or ghost those notes. No. It's not a part of classical technique at all. No, you know, they teach you how to make beautiful sounds on your instrument, but nobody teaches you how to not make sound on your instrument. And turns out being able to not make a sound on your instrument is one of the most important things you have to know in order to groove, because the only way you can groove is to move physically. Okay, because this is some this has become a mantra for me. Um, Rhythmic music comes from rhythmic movement. It's like a byproduct of the fact that you're moving rhythmically. The 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 movement aspect like where dance and music intersect are very close because you can't make certain music without moving in a certain way. It's just impossible. So you can't separate those two. Rhythmic music is rhythmic movement. Comes out of that. So uh, that's the idea behind strumming. is that in order to create a groove that people are going to dance to, you have to have this physicality, this um, subdivision of the beat, which is what the strum is, physicalized in your arm. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a lot of words. As someone much more brilliant than I am said, talking about music is like dancing about architecture. Who said that again? I will. <laughs> I'm not quite sure uh, who that was, but I quote them all the time. Um, so the, a, a quick demonstration of this is if if you play the, the, the tune Bar, 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 and by the Beach Boys, which a lot of people know. So if you're going to play that on the violin, you're going to play it like this. And for people who can't see me at home, I'm doing what we call as it comes bowing. Down, up, down, up, down, up, down. And maybe I retake it and start again. Down, up, down, up, down, up, down. Back and forth, right? But if you ask a guitar player to play that, they will never play the guitar down, up, down, up, down, up, down. down, 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 down. You just don't play a guitar like that. You play it in a continuous way like this. Now I'm intentionally bringing out all the muted notes because you can't see me on this podcast, so I want you to hear me. But you can hear when I'm doing that that I'm strumming all of the notes. I'm muting them with my left hand. All I'm doing is holding all my fingers over the string so they don't ring. And that's how easy it is to mute your notes. Now when you're using a bow, you're going to come out, it's going to come out sounding like this you're going to hear a little bit of you're using a lot of bow, like Galamian taught you to at Juilliard, right? Using nice full bows. But guess what? You're not supposed to use nice full classical bows. If you're doing this, you're going to be using almost as little arm motion as you would use if you were using a pick, where you're just moving your wrist in a very small way. So you can move your bow either in the middle like this where you're barely hearing that or at the frog where it's just doing this kind of choppy stuff and you know anyway you know getting kind of into it but um, that's the difference is you don't play like down up down up down up down you're playing To slow it down just so you hear it I'm playing all of the subdivisions and bringing out the accents So that's kind of the basis of that.
0: Yes. Okay. If that makes Yeah, sense. that does make a lot of sense. And um well, it's it's stuff you know, I think as jazz musicians We've had probably well, you know, I'm I'm saying we, whoever, a lot of the people listening to this are jazz musicians or people who want to play mm-hmm. jazz violin. Yeah. something that it's something that we get taught a little bit, or it's something that I would I would, I to some degree, I'll teach people about it. But what I think is interesting, you know, that the idea of uh, having actually having to keep this, you know, having to keep this constant thing going for for groove to happen mm-hmm. and like you hear it, you hear right. it in some jazz violinists playing you hear it i think you hear it in Grappelli a little bit don't you you know to some degree well
1: here's the thing okay. yeah here's the thing what i'm talking about here is really rhythm
0: yes. playing, right yeah.
1: playing rhythm and and applies you know nicely to sort of funk kind of like a yeah You know anything where there's like where you're holding down the groove yeah. and more chop kind of like patterns yeah. but a lot of jazz if a lot of jazz violin playing is not that no. uh and doesn't really this whole strum thing doesn't really apply to um i just you know wanted to kind of explain what it what it is and it's really a, a rhythm a way to 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 bring Strings closer to playing rhythm, and also a, a, a good technique to help you find the groove in places where you really want to lock into a more rhythmic pattern of something um, by impl- by basically employing ghosting and muting within a con- continuous subdivision. But um, so much of of jazz playing is melodic in nature, and if we're playing, you know, um, just riffs. you know or lines or something like that we're not using any no. of of that strum kind of approach
0: no my point actually though is that it's we do when you you went from you didn't go right right you, you know you could have taken away some of that and it would have still been
1: Right. The same concept of ghosting
0: my, I guess so. is there.
1: Yep. where we're hearing a lot of and, and this a big part of that is this idea of implied rhythm, you know? Like I always tell students it's like a, a car, like a cartoonist, if you look at a like Charlie Brown cartoon, right? And if Charlie Brown is standing in front of a brick wall, you don't see every brick of that wall. You see like two bricks over here and three bricks over yeah. there and your eye fills in the rest of it. And that's implied. And there's a similar kind of Im- implication of subdivision that happens. Our ear puts it together. If I go like, you hear it. You know, your, your, your brain is putting that together into a grid of a continuous subdivision, a groove, and, you know, because your body wants to feel it physically. So you're connecting those dots. Um, and when we're playing melodically, you know, we can take it, take advantage of it. But, you know, I, I've come across um, a, a little sort of a, I don't know, it's not a technique, but it's just a tip that I that I use with my students that I call gesture bowing. And I find it's really helpful as a string player to... Um, to do to do this, and what it is, it's where the emphasis of a beat is on where you would put your hand down when you're speaking. Like, if I'm emphasizing the words that I'm speaking, and right now I'm going down, 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 I'm emphasizing every important word. Uh, and when I'm doing that, a lot of speakers do this you're you put your hand like you're pounding on a table, right? You're sort of your fist is pounding on a table. Well, if you It's a very natural way for us to speak Uh, and if we just let that get into our bow and use down bows, we'll find we can have a very natural way of playing bebop lines like Right? There's all down bows. You can't really see, but I think you can tell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah. I'm, a, I'm exaggerating, you know. But if you do that, and it just feels really natural, because a lot of times string players struggle over like, how do we make the sound like a saxophone? Like it's just like, or like scat singing. How do we get that fluidity and that they're accenting but and they're ghosting, but it's not, it's not studied. It's just you know. And I think one way to do that is to make it as natural for our bow arms as possible. You know, and we can really just lean into them um, in a way that's natural for our bow arms. Mm. So that's kind of a that's my little
0: gesture bowing i like that man that's really cool and it's not the way that i've heard had it heard it heard it spoken about before we often try to think more about i mean it's when i'm thinking about it i'm often trying to think more about like oh don't don't emphasize you know the 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 off the on beats too much but when you do it there it swings man like (laughs) so i don't know yeah. Well I'm just imitating
1: kind of the way I would sing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, again, it just comes from the voice. Ba 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 again if you just sing it in gesture with your hand. Ba 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 Now, you know, they're not all gonna some of them are gonna be on the beat. some of them are gonna are be on syncopations. Yeah. Ba ba do ba 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 do ba You know what I mean. That might be too loud for the microphone no, no, it's fine, right there. It's fine,
0: but, it's fine. Um. Um, that's fine. That's really interesting. I really that's yeah. I really like it. Um, and so you you must have spent. I mean, uh, this is the jazz violin podcast. So I'm I often. I'm obviously I'm going to keep talking about jazz. And I know that's not all. You know, it's not all you do. But it's really interesting. You you obviously do yeah. play. You. That's how I first heard you. Like I said, I heard you on that Jeff Coffin. Album and I was like, well, those are jazz violinists. You know, that's you obviously. That's the thing, right? It's a part of your yeah. part of your musicianship is well, jazz. Well, for sure, like, you know.
1: I mean, I you know, I got this gig with Turtle Island years yeah. ago, and and uh, I had to start taking jazz kind of seriously for a yeah. minute.
0: Okay, and is that as in is that why you ended up playing taking jazz seriously, or were you were you were you doing jazz before that? Did you?
1: I was definitely doing jazz before that, but back in my Juilliard days, um, I actually had a gig for maybe two weeks running until they got hip to us. Um, me and a piano player friend of mine, who was an like an amazing classical pianist who was a great improviser, and we would we were trying to improvise. We got this gig at a club called Sweet Basil's in New York, which is like a for real jazz yep. club, and doing like the six o'clock dinner shift, you know, and we would just go in there with a fake book and and do these sort of we were trying to play jazz you know and he was telling me just transcribe coltrane so i would just like write down giant steps and try you know play that and memorize stuff like that and trying to get the language in my in my fingers so um you know i was doing that you know back in college and then i kind of went um you know i kind of got a little more interested in rock
0: yeah yeah yeah. that's what happened Yeah, and yeah, but I, it's just interesting. I, I do think you're you're just a very interesting player. I don't know if there's many people, especially not in the UK, that play who have that sort of eclectic style. Um, so it, it's yeah, it's very interesting, yeah. very yeah. interesting. Um, your style. Um, so you've, you've got a series of books. Yeah. Um, yep. And so sort of what you know, you're talk. We're talking about um, we're talking about what's you know the sort of general idea behind it which is 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 ghost notes but what sort of stuff do we, what else have we got in that book basically
1: well you know i've got a, a, the second the follow-up to it um uh, uh, you know first of all in the strumming book you know it I, I sort of get into this whole chopping stuff yeah uh, in the second half the you know first half i'm kind of explaining just this idea of, of breaking down the the subdivisions and playing ghosting yeah. and stuff like that and then the second half kind of gets into vertical stuff which is all that chopping kind of casey dreesen daryl angry kind of yeah. chop stuff and how that's all part of the same way of doing it and the idea behind it came actually from from turtle island we used to teach we used to do these you know i'm um, like uh, workshops for uh, lecture demonstrations for college kids and stuff like that. And everybody wanted to learn how to chop. And we would show them these kind of complex chopping patterns, like, um, a... and you know, sort of like down, 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 up, 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 down, down, yeah. up, down, up, down. You know, we would explain and they'd be writing them down. And then they said, Well, how do you do this one from this song? And that would have a different chopping pattern. We'd write that down. And it got very complicated. And I was like, There's got to be a better way to do yeah. this. Um, and you know, and and then I happened to be watching a guitar player on TV and the phone rang, I muted the TV, he's strumming along and uh, I'm on the phone for a couple of minutes and he's still playing, 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 playing. I unmute, hang up the phone, unmute the TV and I find out he's playing a completely different song. I'm like, his hand is still moving. I was like, oh, like the light bulb went off. It's like the subdivision never stops. Yes. That's the common thread of all grooves. And if we can just get people to do that, everything else, it's not easy, but it kind of falls under one umbrella. And once you start keeping a common thing, you can change from one groove to the next. So I could go from. Whatever, you know, I could go into any because I, I'm never having to interrupt because there's always just this chaka chaka yeah. chaka chaka strumming away. Yeah. So it was sort of the common denominator. So I just, I'm just sort of like pointing out that there's, hey, there's this common denominator, but it's something you will never learn in classical music. Yeah. It's something every guitar player learns in their very first lesson. They don't even know how to play a chord, but they know how to strum their open strings, yeah. you know, and it's that simple. Like I love to say, if guitar players can do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) So, you know, it's not brain surgery. It's really not. It's just different from the way you teach classical string. So that's kind of the whole, you know, new approach of it. But the follow-up, I was starting to say, is is, uh, a new book that I'm about to start writing, uh, which is based on my second... um, uh, the part two of my Groove Academy online course, which is called The Rhythm String Player. And it's really about how now that we learn how to use this this technique of bowing, what do we do with it? How do we become a rhythm string player, like a rhythm guitar player? Mm-hmm. That's what this book is about. And so what I do is I break it down into different genres and go, okay, how do you do it with rock and roll? How do you do it in jazz? How do you do it in bluegrass? How do you do it in funk? How do you do it in hip hop? Uh, Because they're all a little bit different approaches to the groove, Mm. slightly different grooves and different ways. And how do we juggle a bass note with the rhythm part? And so we're playing like... James yeah. Brown, um, soul, soul, yeah. you know, um, stuff like that. Uh, so that's kind of what the second book is about. Like, how how do we read a chord chart? Yeah,
0: yeah, okay.
1: How do you look at chords and strum? Yeah. How do you figure out how to do that? So that's kind of you know, uh, applying strum bowing. It's from going strum bowing in action yeah. is what it's called. The cool. Subtitle.
0: Yeah, I really like it, man. And it and it feels like it's like what I think is exciting about it is. Well, it is like it's like a, very, it's like truly American, it's like string style, isn't it? It's this thing that's I think it's I evolving, guess. in and pretty much exclusively in America. I think this the not just huh. you know I'm I'm talking about you know you mentioned Casey Driesden and Daryl Anger, but you know and I'm, I'm sort of I'm thinking about you and them in the same sort of place doing different things. But I just think it's really interesting that it's that it's very, that it's only happening in America. Where else is who else huh. is coming up with strum, bowing style, or you know that ch- the chop? I don't know. No one. It's only in America. So
1: interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, that is an interesting thing, and I think American music is very, very influenced by African music. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe more so than in Europe yeah. um, or in Asia. Uh, there, you know, it's such a big part of jazz, of rock and roll, yeah. and certainly of hip mm-hmm. hop. Uh, and that's just where where our pop music lives. Uh, and you know, I think a lot of this, uh, a, a lot of rhythm, and and there's a lot of dance involved in all of that music, and mm. a lot of a lot of really strong rhythmic propel propulsive rhythms
0: yeah. so yeah yeah okay that's interesting and yeah i mean i always i always feel like i'm rubbishing the uk a little bit or you know europe but i do think of america as having a much more much more open view of music and open an open view of how you can be a musician i always think about i think about the uh like the the top schools in the uk like uh, the top conservatoires you'd go to, it's the Royal Academy. All the places in London, a load of the places in London anyway. There's a bunch of others in the UK as well. I didn't go to a London one. I went somewhere else. I went to Leeds, but you know the top ones. You know, it's in it, let's say the Royal Academy, and yeah. if you compare that to the, the top schools in America there's going to be a lot less openness i think to different well, styles well you
1: know i got to be honest with you i'm not sure there's a whole lot of openness in the american conservatories either
0: okay i guess you know i well i the fact that you guys have Ber- like you have berkeley you have the new well there is a berkeley there is yeah, a berkeley right. there is no berkeley in the uk there yeah. is
1: i think you're right in general i mean i think the american attitude is a little bit less um stratified yeah. it's a little bit there's a lot more mixing of genres yes. and yeah uh, you know about that um in general i mean from my experience in europe i think i think there is a lot of truth to that um but i gotta say american conservatories are still i think modeling themselves on european conservatories yeah the classical places yeah,
0: yeah. for sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're saying um i just think yeah i d- yeah I don't know what my point is, but I, I, it is something I notice listening, and when I look at, when I look at Berkeley, and just the fact that that place does exist, and you can get, a, you can learn from, you know, someone in, yeah. there, it, it, you can do like a mix of so many different things, and there's nothing like you don't get that. Anywhere else in the world, and I think that's probably why yeah. string playing is is evolving more over there. You know, over with with, with you guys, maybe. Uh, and I think it's
1: maybe. I, you know, it's I think there's a there's a wonderful thing going on, and I think the internet is helping to make it more global. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah.
1: But I think there's a whole lot of interest in progressive string playing these days. And it's very gratifying to me because when I started doing this in the 80s, I first started building these six string electrics (laughs) with a guy named Mark Wood.
0: Oh, right. Okay. yeah.
1: Yeah, we knew each other. We met in, I think, 81 or even 80. Right. Uh, and we both had this dream of, of rocking out on violin, building an instrument that was going to do kind of what Jean-Luc did, but more in the rock genre, yeah. you know. So we were both, you know, hoping to be the first yeah. rock and roll rock stars. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've given up.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, I, I, I spent a bit of time working. I, like I, got, I, I downloaded Casey Driesden's stuff about... 10 years ago you know these like how to chop videos i yep. i can sort of i can sort of approximate a chop um something that <laughs> I, I i try and do but you know what's funny talking about a chop trying to get it yeah how, try to try to find a way for a let's let, this is an interesting thing we're maybe going to finish up quite soon but be quite interesting to know how 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 should how should a jazz violinist accompany then how should I if i'm if i'm playing if I need to accompany and I'm playing in like a jazz swing setting, you know, what should I do? Well,
1: it depends on what who you got with you in the band. If you have a bass and a drum.
0: Let's say we got no drum and just bass.
1: No drum and just bass. Well, it's helpful if you can add some backbeat where yeah. possible. Yeah. Uh, and what I would do in a situation like that is uh, if you got just the bass, you're going to need to comp. You're going to need to do what the piano player's yeah. doing basically yeah so you're gonna like a
0: yeah, yeah.
1: you know whatever you're kind of giving yeah. chords in there um and if you can do it while holding down some kind of a groove like a, and I, i'm just yeah, randomly yeah. playing chords yeah. you know <laughs> yeah okay, okay. Whatever, you know, I'm assuming there's a groove that's something like that, Um, you know, depending on the genre of whatever it is, if maybe it's a Latin thing and it's like. yeah. Whatever, you know. what i'm basically doing and all of that kind of stuff is employing the strumboing idea of a constant subdivision the idea of keeping i think of this as i call this a compound chop this stroke right here it's like a four stroke template that's kind of like a substrate that just is the flooring underneath anything you want to do so it's Right now, I'm bringing it out, but it could be in the background more like this. But I'm kind of feeling it. You know, I'm just trying not to play it, but it's always in there somewhere because that's the consistency that keeps it grooving because a body in motion stays in motion, that inertia of of keeping that movement in your body because yeah. rhythmic music comes from a rhythmic
0: movement. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's, you know, one thing that I always get students to do is again, it's not about rhythm. It's not about, sorry, it's not about backing, but one thing I always get students to do is try to pretend to be a, um, to pretend to be a, um, a ride symbol. So, but more at the tip of the bow, you know, nice. to try and get into yeah. that swing because it's mm-hmm. so hard I think and I think that that's something that we have to do. We have to as string players we have to like squash like just force ourselves into you know these styles by trying to pretend to be different aspects of it, you know.
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I tell my my students to imitate imitate imitate, you know, imitate the bass, imitate the drums, imitate the sax, the trumpet. You're not going to sound like those instruments. You're playing a violin. Yeah imitate them as closely as you can
0: yes yeah yeah and that's that's when stuff comes out new stuff happens isn't it yeah Yeah, man hey it's been a pleasure chatting to you is there anything that you'd like to that that you've got coming up that you want to talk about this episode will be coming out in about about a week so is is there anything you want to plug well you know
1: i've got my own podcast if you uh if you have podcast listeners that are into it um called for the greater groove the future of strings um that we've referenced a couple times in here um i think we may have some some listeners in common uh and that's that's a place where you know uh and i've got a facebook page of a group of the same name for the greater groove and i think it's a good place i'm hoping it'll be a community for your listeners and my listeners to connect And uh, for us all to egg each other on, encourage each other. Um, There's a lot of, you know, I think it's really important for especially people who are getting started in the in the jazz violin world. And especially if you come from the classical world, there's it's so hard for us to take chances classical players it's so hard for us to sound to to live with ourselves sounding terrible uh and sucking and improvising and and all of that is really really important for us to do in order to get across this as my friend andy reiner calls it the river of suck to the other side you know (laughs) that's another podcast you might want to check out randy's river of suck um but you know uh it's tough for classical folks to to, to allow themselves to forgive themselves enough to to progress. Yes. Because that, you have to be a child, you have to be childlike in order to 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 learn how to walk again. And when you were a kid, you didn't mind that you fell down. Constantly you just got back up and started walking again. And uh, Vic Wooten talks about that in his book The Music Lesson. Um you know, we got to be ready to 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 do that and and that's just part of part of learning how to do something new. So I encourage All our listeners to uh, encourage each other, be supportive, and everybody's on a different part of this journey. Some people are a little further along than others, but uh, we love everybody for being
0: on that journey. Yeah, man. Thanks so much. That was great. So nice to chat. Yeah, brother. Likewise, man. Thank you so much for listening today guys it's been a pleasure making this episode for you I had a great time chatting with Tracy and also delving back into some of the music that I was listening to 15 years ago or whenever it was I first found Tracy I've just been checking out that album that I was talking about with Jeff Coffin and Tracy and just it's just taking me back uh, what's going on with me if you are a london based person then you should come and check my band or one of my bands out at the iconic ronnie scott's jazz club we are playing on november the 7th november the 7th ronnie scott's 7 ish p.m we're playing the main show We're very excited. I'm very excited. It's going to be a great gig. Uh, We've got a lot of new music that we have written and rehearsed just for this gig. And we are playing with the amazing Adrian Cox uh, as a guest. Adrian is coming to guest on a bunch of the music that we're playing. It's going to be a great time. We're excited. And uh, you should come. The other thing I'm playing if you're north north of England based then please come down and check out my show at Hull Jazz Festival. I'm playing at the Hull Truck uh, Theatre on November the 11th and that's with a new band of mine that is uh, put together uh, playing my own original tunes all based on uh, all based on the city of Hull. I've written some music with Hull in mind which has been a real pleasure to do uh have i got another thing oh yeah i am playing at the queen elizabeth hall on the 18th of november with tomorrow's warriors and the new civilization orchestra we're playing the music of marvin gay it's a big uh big old jazz orchestra with a nice big string section and yeah it's all pretty exciting i'm excited about that it's going to be a big gig and loads of people um that's the end of my plugs so i'm gonna sign out it's been nice to chat at you and i hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode if you would like to support the podcast you can do so via patreon where i'm not going to explain patreon again i'm just going to tell you the address to get to www patreon.com forward slash Matt Holborn that's M-A-T-T-H-O-L-B-O-R-N guys I'll see you again very soon thanks for listening goodbye